take a deep breath allow yourself to fail and allow yourself to trust people to go on this journey with you you don't have to do everything alone and you don't have to do it without any error Welcome to Our Voices, Our Choices, and the third and final episode of our three-part series on feminist leadership. I'm your host, Ilona Toller, and in this episode, we'll explore what it means to be a feminist leader on an individual level. What are the very personal challenges faced by the people who are in leadership positions, but who want to do things differently. I myself worked in the international social impact sector pretty much all of my professional life. I experienced firsthand what these rooms looked like and that they were not changing back then at the speed and kind of transformative way that I felt was needed to to really create a new culture within civil society. Our journey begins with Helene, co-founder and co-director of Fair Share of Women Leaders, an initiative driving gender equity in the social impact sector. We do this by monitoring data on gender equity and advocating for more feminist leadership in the sector that mostly contains NGOs and foundations and other social impact organizations. Throughout her entire professional career, Helena has been dedicated to the international social impact sector, and her extensive experience in predominantly homogenous boardrooms revealed something to her. The sector had issues, and it wasn't evolving at the speed or in the way she believed was necessary in order to create a new and inclusive culture. There was a wave of reports coming out of the sector about sexual abuse, power abuse, um, that kind of illustrated a sexist uh, culture within the sector. But of course, it goes. It also includes a lot of other discrimination. But um, I think this was the one that struck me most back then and led me to talk to a few women about what we could contribute to to change that culture in the sector together because I was not the only one with this experience and had met a lot of women who uh, who wanted to contribute to the change we wanted to see because we deeply care about the sector and see its potential for the changes we need in the world. And so we want the sector to be able to make this change, but felt it needed a bit more pushing and pulling and encouraging <laughs> And so um, one of the first things we did was look for data uh, about representation because we all had this gut feeling that women weren't equally represented in these key decision-making spaces and positions. And there was hardly any data uh, around that. According to Helene, there was data from other sectors like the business or public sectors but there was barely any information about the social impact sector. The sector that preaches about equity, equality, uh, participation, representation, but there was no transparency and accountability for ourselves. And so 
that was the first thing we created, which still exists today. It's a fair share monitor. And on a yearly basis, we measure the number of women in both the kind of boards and executive structures and with the aim to make it more and more intersectional as we go along so that beyond this dimension of gender, we look at other factors that affect women disproportionately in other dimensions. But obviously these numbers are just symptoms of a much larger cultural challenge. And so from the very beginning, we said we also need to look at what the vision and transformation behind our goal is. And so feminist leadership was our North Star from the very beginning. So even once we have the numbers, how can we make sure that the spaces are really inviting and made for, for these new actors coming in? What role does leadership play in this necessary cultural shift? Helene says it's all about a combination of representation and culture in an organization. Who leads and how they lead. And it goes both ways. In order to ensure that there's representation and more diversity, you need leaders who are open to these changes and who understand how important they are. And so leadership obviously has a massive influence on culture. They create the frame, they create accountability, they set priorities. And so it, it really is kind of a feedback loop back and forth because um, culture impacts who gets into these positions and then these positions shape culture. And so it needs to be a continuous conversation between the kind of formal structures and what kind of culture they want to create. And so um, if we want to change bigger things and in a transformative way, we need different people who are in the positions from different perspectives with different voices who really together can shape something new. And so we think you can't do one without the other. So we need more women in all their diversity in the positions and we need a new way to lead, which then, of course, invites everyone to take on this new leadership paradigm. But women in all their diversity have to be truly represented um, in order to, to make that shift. For Helene, one aspect of this new way of leading was doing it in a collaborative way, leading together, not being the only one at the top of an organization. But, as we have heard before, she says her journey to feminist leadership also started with herself. I always had this thought um, that um, I don't want to be in this like formal role alone. And so I think it was really... Who do I want to be as a leader? What does leadership mean to me? Reflections on my own power, understanding of power. And based on that, we started to already distribute a lot of power, ownership and responsibility across our small team. And then almost the logic next step was to also share the formal power because I, I do think there's still a difference in do you carry the ultimate legal responsibility or not? And so it's not just a title. There is something in it that also has to be transparent and clear of who's in that formal responsibility and create transparency around that. 
But the process is not linear or chronological, nor is it ever finished. It's a constant conversation between the different levels. But sharing power doesn't diminish it. As Srilata Bhatliwala has mentioned in one of our earlier episodes of this podcast, power just gets bigger when you share it. So it's not... It's not this cake that you slice up and the more people have it, the less slices they are or the smaller they get. I think it's rather the opposite that I think by sharing power, we just make it bigger <laughs> and we actually bring out all the potential of our organization and also uh, out of us um, as a team and as individuals in that system. Ultimately, it seems we need to be aware of the fact that sharing leadership roles doesn't just happen organically. Rather, it's an active decision to open up the space for more collective forms of leadership. I'm still on a journey. So <laughs> I think the main part for me was a lot of unlearning of what I've been told what leadership looks like. So by society, but also by organizations you work for. And I was always wondering why I felt a disconnect between myself as a person and that concept. And so to unlearn and allow myself to find my way, I think was a big part of that journey. And I think it's um, trying to always reflect, okay, and what are my feminist values? And so... I think for me, feminist leadership, it's, it has a big part of unlearning. It has a big part of reflecting on your feminist values and principles and how they influence your work. It, a big part is about unpacking power, your own power, the power in the team, and, and not to overstate the word power. I think it's really it's super important because it's not about pretending it's not there. It's not about eradicating power. It's not about eradicating hierarchies. It's about creating transparency around it and trying to redistribute it in a way that it's shared and still probably to different levels in different forms. So facing power relationships, um, putting them out quite directly, Talking about what it means for these power relationships to exist and how they might impact conversations, dialogue, etc. I think that becomes quite fundamental to even starting to do the work. Our journey continues with Vandita Moraka, a social justice leader from India. She's the founder and CEO of One Future Collective, a social justice organization promoting a world led by communities of care. Vandita says, feminist leadership and feminist practice can often come with a lot of guilt about being a bad feminist or a bad feminist leader. But she suggests distinguishing between what is achievable as a single person compared to what's possible within a team can be useful to avoid burnout, guilt and eventually resentment against the very systems we're trying to change. Sometimes advocating for your rights as a feminist leader within any organized space can also come with fallouts. And I think which is where that boundary comes in. I do think for systemic change to happen, 
there are times when individuals will face losses that sacrifice will be needed however this is a conscious decision that individuals must make and it should not be one that is enforced upon them so i would think of this as the role of an individual within any system even within my own organization as a feminist leader to speak their truth to hold systems accountable and to be self reflective in their own praxis now when i think of teams and systems um, or organizations at large i do think these systems or teams have much more power to be able to negotiate for larger change that is required to enable feminist leadership we're able to negotiate with funders for more money we are able to negotiate with our managers for better work timings more flexibility in work hours etc etc so i think the shift from individual to system is that collectivization of power always allows you to demand more it also allows you to step in for each other and to build systems that can be interdependent rather than very hyper individualistic as capitalism would want it to be right sometimes within a workplace this may or may not work but i see this as the two split between individual and systems and i also see the need for integration between both because eventually any team or systems is made up of its individuals um and the last thing i would like to think about is that teams and systems have a responsibility to provide a scaffolding like a certain safeguarding against any retaliation that is possible when someone actually practices feminist leadership because these are good concepts and theories to talk about and aspire to but the practice of it can often lead to challenges it can often lead to questioning of authority and it can lead to people losing power and that sometimes leads to retaliation and harm so teams have then a responsibility to ensure that protection measures are in place in advance in our conversations both helene and vandeter highlighted the significance of transparency accountability and open communication in fostering feminist leadership but what are the tools that can help achieve functional communication and transparency in a team at the beginning of our co-leadership journey um guided by a facilitator we sort of got a mandate from the team what they need us to do and that's something that was completely new to me because i was in leadership positions and you're being appointed you're getting handed a leadership position usually from from someone higher up so to say i now for the first time have a mandate from the team what they need me to do and what they want me to do and how they want to be involved and so first we we created together kind of a list of responsibilities and then we created levels of decision making and um the team basically told me and my co-leader where they want to be informed where they want to be consulted where they just want to be um or where they want to actually collectively decide and so this communication around what should be done in this kind of formal uh, responsibility that two of us took on as a collective process was a really eye opening experience also for me and for the first time in my leadership journey i have a mandate like that helena says it doesn't have to be about getting rid of power or hierarchy altogether rather it's all about being aware of it and committing to creating as much transparency and accountability regarding what a space looks like 
how it functions, and how people can work and communicate within that space. I think sometimes even the small things like rotating the moderation of a team meeting already is a different way of power and uh, creating an agenda collectively so that not only one or two persons decide what's even being discussed um, is a way to, to deal differently with power and to, and through things like this, you also learn about your colleagues and their perspectives and what they might do differently. But I think it also requires a bit patience and time to learn about who's in the room and by when do you feel comfortable sharing what. So that's the part you can't really plan. <laughs> um, I think that's also the part where it's about showing that what happens when someone shares something. And so you bit by bit, you build, build the trust you hopefully want to achieve um, within team. And, and I think you can do this by kind of implementing that perspective in whatever you develop new in your team culture. So for example, at the moment, we're talking about feedback mechanisms and we're trying to figure out what might be different needs and perspectives in terms of does one feel comfortable giving feedback and or receiving feedback? What do you need to receive or give feedback? And to just be aware that something that works for me might not work for someone else. And I think if you put on that lens with everything you do, <laughs> and that's not saying that I manage to do this all the time, right? So this is just, <laughs> that's the ambition. And I think that's what you can come back to. And that's the step back you can, you can always do. What I'm creating here. Is this only something that works for me or have I asked some others if that also works for, for them based on whatever, being an introvert or extrovert or, you know, there are so many, there are so many things and criteria can, um, but to have that check in with each other and then still that, that means conflict, that means compromise, <laughs> but I think the, the results and the decisions we take, they then tend to stick longer because we do take the time to think it through. And so I think in traditional terms, this sounds, oh, this takes forever, but I think we're just turning the process on its head. Because my experience is if you take a decision fast and uh, then all the problems come out when you try to implement it because it doesn't work for everyone. And so we try to switch that around by having those conversations first. And then when we take the decision, it actually runs much more smoothly and tends to stick longer. As we've learned in the course of this podcast series, working towards feminist leadership starts with working on the self. But how can we make sure we don't slip back into our old ways, into traditional, individualistic and strictly hierarchical ways? Accountability is not something that should be left to an individual uh, because then it's very, very much dependent on the mood of that individual. Accountability needs to be systemic. And when we're able to build systems of accountability, then we're able to localize what the individual's role is in that system of accountability. So I think that is how I have thought of accountability within my organization. Um, 
being a solo founder, not really having a board, right? I am the board in that sense. I have a board of advisors, but legally, the financial, fiduciary, legal responsibilities end with me, uh, which means that there is a lot of scope for abuse of power, abuse of any form of responsibility that is given to me. In that case, then my responsibility becomes to build a protective accountability system that can not only keep a check on the team, but also keep a check on me and bring in external folks as required to hold me accountable and to ensure that these are people that are able to speak the truth, have the social capital to be able to question um, leaders within my organization. Bandita encourages us to build systems of accountability. On the other hand, she says, the way to implement accountability is to detach it from the idea of punishment and shame. I think within any workplace, historically, accountability has always been linked to shaming a person, to punishing them, to finding a way to extract more out of them because of something they did wrong. And I think when we start thinking of accountability that way, it creates an automatic defensive reaction amongst any person, amongst any human um, who does not want to feel that way. You do not want to be shamed. You do not want to be punished. Um, but if we can move accountability from that mindset to a mindset of justice and to a mindset of community, where us making some changes in our behaviors, in our practices could lead to a better working environment for everyone where there can be scope for correction and changes without a fallout in terms of your performance review, without a fallout in terms of you being fired, right? Just moving from punishment and shame to creating space for people to change, grow and develop. I believe that is required for any accountability system to work. I will caveat it, of course, by saying that there is harm, abuse and violence for which we may need to take more drastic measures. But if there isn't this space for change and transformation within an organization, it's not an accountability system that's working. It's a fear system that's working. And that only works till people are scared. Because there will be a point when someone or some people are not, and then accountability goes out of the window. Aside from accountability, another important aspect of a new form of leadership is trust. Trust towards your colleagues and co-workers. Trust that they are committed to the organization's goals and that they will do what they can to accomplish these goals. But holding each other accountable also means trusting that you can be vulnerable and that you can speak up without impeding harm. Helene Wolf says, trust in processes and the people around her is a guiding principle on her journey. I think that allows me to also be vulnerable in my former leadership position and to create the space for myself to say, I don't know, or I made the wrong decision, or um, I need help, or um, this is I'm also doing this for the first time, so how do we do it together? And so I think those are some of the, of the key principles. And I think the other one I mentioned already, to create spaces where we celebrate the differences in perspectives and not in the way that this is always great. It creates a lot of conflict. There's a lot of friction if you celebrate and invite the difference. But I think 
that's the step beyond representation <laughs> to then actually work with the different perspectives that are in the room and be uncomfortable. But because there is so much trust, you also know you can be uncomfortable, you can be vulnerable, you can try to have the difficult conversations and they might be hurtful. I think uh, the making things explicit part is quite integral to start addressing harm or to start addressing where change needs to happen. So surfacing power relationships, um, putting them out quite directly, um, talking about what it means for these power relationships to exist and how they might impact conversations, dialogue, etc. I think that becomes quite fundamental to even starting to do the work. And second is, I think, um, something that we've struggled with and we seem to have some semblance of a balance now is to stop thinking of hierarchy as a hierarchy of respect, fear or power, right? But to think of hierarchy from a more functional lens as a way to get work done. Vandita brings up an interesting point here. When we trust each other, Hierarchy can turn into something that isn't about one person having more say than another, but rather hierarchy in combination with trust and accountability could help get things done effectively. But transforming systems and processes to follow feminist principles can still lead to resistance. So I think inside there are still moments where sometimes there is a wish or oh, can somebody just decide it and we move on <laughs> why do we have to discuss this and sometimes you just have this wish that stuff gets decided someone else is responsible you don't have to deal with it it's decided for you and so um i think that's maybe the most tangible resistance i can currently think of internally Externally, I think there is a lot of resistance because I don't think change happens without resistance. So I think if there wouldn't be resistance, we would have a problem. <laughs> And so I think obviously there's resistance against the word, uh, all the attributions that, that come with it and all the thoughts people's, that are sparked within people's minds. Besides a general resistance to calling something feminist and all the associations people have with the word and the movement, there's also resistance against the fact that feminist leadership isn't one-size-fits-all. Its rules are not cast in stone. As we've heard before, it's dependent on context, it's fluid, and it's never finished. And that's irritating to some people, so... The, uh, yeah, so I think there's resistance on those ways, but and also sometimes irritating that we don't pretend we have a lot of answers. <laughs> and I think that's also irritating for in a world where it's about checklists and toolboxes and to then stand by your belief that this is a deep transformative process that and that you can't offer this checkbox or tour kits on how to achieve better representation or become a feminist organization, I think that's super annoying because it, it's being suggested in so many other places, like you take this one-year program or this 
10-hour online course and then you have a certificate for something or you do this audit and check whatever. And I think that we so many times say there is a process you need to go through and it probably never ends is kind of the most annoying thing one can do. <laughs> When facing resistance, support becomes crucial, both from within the group and externally. I asked Vanditer about the role of allies in implementing feminist principles. And her stance is that allyship might not be exactly what's most needed. I struggle with um, the concept of allyship. I'm a queer person, I'm a disabled person, and I don't know what it means for someone to be an ally to me. What I do expect and desire from the world is solidarity. And I'm openly reflecting on what that means for feminist leadership, right? Maybe you're a feminist leader, maybe you're not. Uh, but what this needs more than allyship is solidarity, which means you move from just being aware, just providing some support to actively questioning, changing and transforming people, systems, collectives to move and orient towards feminist leadership. To me, that is what is required. I think allyship is sometimes too easy. It's too easy a badge to require. And it's no longer working to build the sort of change we need. And allyship also sometimes perpetuates the idea that you are supporting me in my pathway to justice or my liberation. And there's a really famous quote that talks about that don't come here if you are here to help me get liberated, right? Come here if you recognize how your liberation is tied to my liberation. And to me, that's where we move from allyship to solidarity. And that's what makes solidarity much more necessary and powerful, in my opinion. At the end of the day, Vandita reminds us, we are all human and making mistakes is a natural part of our journey. The important thing is to remember that that doesn't mean that we're bad feminists or that we failed. Vandita said she has experienced this feeling herself. I reached the point of burnout and exhaustion because of the hyper-accountability I placed on myself to practice a perfect form of feminist leadership. And I can only imagine that if you're listening in and if you're someone who desires to practice this or already practices this, I know you're holding yourself to a standard that is perhaps humanly impossible to achieve. Um, you are important to this movement and you are required for change to happen. It's more integral that you are here and doing something rather than not allowing yourself to do anything because you feel stuck in the need for perfection. For me, feminist leadership is a leadership practice that allows me to be wrong and allows me to be held accountable by my community when I'm wrong and it gives me space to correct myself rather than removes me from this community. The journey of feminist leadership is far from easy. But it's through learning and evolving that we pave the way for progress. And at the end of this three-part podcast series, Vandita has just the advice for us. Take a deep breath, allow yourself to fail, and allow yourself to trust people to go on this journey with you. You don't have to do everything alone, and you don't have to do it without any error. <laughs>